Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Nick from Part-Time Pilot. Welcome back to the Audio Ground School Podcast. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome in. This is the only podcast, only place where you can get ground school content for private pilots licensed completely free in audio format. So it's been a while since I've recorded. This episode is going to come out on July 12th, or sorry, June 12th. But it's been a while since I recorded. I actually went on vacation, but that doesn't mean we weren't doing anything. We actually, at Part-Time Pilot, we give out four $1,000 scholarships to our students every single year. And this year, for the first time, we took one of those scholarships and we combined it with something else to try and make it bigger and better. So we opened it up to everybody that followed us on social media or whatever, and we said, okay, we're gonna do a crowdsource you know, GoFundMe, you know, now that people know about Part-Time Pilot online, I have a little bit of a platform. So I tried to use that to my advantage to help you guys out. And we started off the GoFundMe with a $1,000 donation for Part-Time Pilot. And then we were able to raise $3,620 more dollars. So I just want to say right now, thank you to everybody that shared the GoFundMe or that contributed. There were some people that contributed $100 or even more, $50, things like that. Or even if you just contributed $10, thank you so much. It really shows how amazing this community is. So we took that total of $4,820, we divided it into three, which is about $1,600. And we gave out three $1,600 scholarships to some very deserving winners, which I announced a few weeks back. One of those winners is already using that to good use. She was able to knock out all her night requirements in one single night and have the money to pay for that. So that is so cool to see. And that's all thanks to you guys who donated and who shared the GoFundMe. So I was thinking, you know, a fraction of my followers were to able to donate $10 that we could maybe get up to $10,000, $11,000. Didn't quite get to that, but that's okay. That's what happens when you set lofty goals, right? So when you set a lofty goal to become a commercial pilot by the end of the year, shit happens, right? <laughs> Stuff happens. You might only get your private pilots by the end of the year, but does that mean you give up? No. Reset your goals. You reevaluate your goals. You see where you're at and you see you know what you learned and how you can implement that to get better moving forward. So that's what we're going to do. And now our new goal is to beat this year's goal. So we're going to beat $4,820 next year. And I already have some really cool ideas on how I can, again, use the part-time pilot platform to raise more money for that. So Super excited for that next year. It's gonna be around that May timeframe. Again, maybe we'll kind of combine it with like Oshkosh or Sun and Fun or one of the big sort of air shows that are in the spring and summer. Now, if you didn't win, don't worry. Again, we have three more $1,000 scholarships plus free ground schools. That's another thing that the winners got if they weren't already in 
the online ground school, they got free ground school or they got their money reimbursed. And so, so yeah, we give out $1,000 and free ground school three more times this year. For those ones, you have to be a member of the online ground school. So just go to parttimepilot.com and click on online ground school to check that out. Okay, so I have one more thing I wanna talk to you about. So a few weeks ago, we took a break from the online ground school content on these podcast episodes. We just did something fun, right? I talked about my favorite aircraft, the SR-71 Blackboard. I shared some crazy facts about it and a crazy cool story about it. And I got a lot of good feedback from that episode. So in light of that, I've talked about a podcast in the past that I recommend. I have a new one because so many people like that episode. I do want to stick mostly to our ground school content here to be valuable for people looking for that ground school content. Every once in a while, I might do an episode like that. But there's a podcast that is completely dedicated to these great tales in aviation. So I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a fun new podcast called So There I Was. If you're a fan of aviation or simply enjoy hearing captivating stories, then this is the podcast for you guys. Hosted by former Marine pilots Fig and Repeat, this podcast shares firsthand accounts of flying experiences that will have you on the edge of your seat. Whether you're in the mood for something funny, scary, poignant, or tragic, this podcast has it all. With a relaxed and conversational tone, the pilots share their stories like you're sitting right there with them at the bar after a flight. Hear from fighter pilots, astronauts, blue angels, aircraft carrier captains, Navy and Coast Guard rescue pilots, and many more. Most have survived near-death experiences. Others have overcome incredible disabilities to continue to fly airplanes. You'll hear about heart-pumping moments in the cockpit, hilarious screw-ups during flights, insane hijinks off-duty, and the challenges pilots routinely face. Hear what it feels like to be shot off the bow of a carrier or into space. Experience the terror of landing on a pitching deck on a night so black that the pilot can barely taxi afterwards because... Their legs are shaking so badly. Hear firsthand how lonely it is in the middle of the ocean in a life raft on a dark night in eight-foot seas. Each story is unique and told with a level of detail that will make you feel like you were there. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll laugh until you cry, but one thing is certain, you will not be bored. So there I was, it's all how great aviation tales begin. Go check out that podcast. I've listened to a few of their episodes already and I got a few more downloaded for the next time I travel or I'm working out. And again, if you like that SR-71 podcast episode that we did, the really cool, awesome aviation stories, and you'd like, it can only get better if that story, instead of read by me, was read by the actual pilot that that story is about. And on this podcast, so there I was, that's what it is. They bring on the actual people and they tell their actual stories. Really, really, really cool thing. So go check that out. Should be on any podcast app. It's called So There I Was. All right, enough of that stuff. Let's get into the lesson. We are in section 10, human factors. So if you're following along in the online ground school, which I highly, highly recommend, so you get the images, figures, mnemonic devices, all that stuff, plus you can take the quiz. We're in the step one, private pilot, online ground school lessons, that step one course, and then we're in section 10, human factors. Last episode, we did ear and sinus concerns and motion sickness. Today, we're gonna go to lesson six, spatial disorientation, and probably lesson seven on carbon monoxide poisoning. So without further ado, let's get to lesson six of section 10 on spatial disorientation. 
Spatial disorientation is defined as a state of temporary confusion resulting from misleading information being sent to the brain by various sensory organs. Spatial disorientation and motion sickness often occur simultaneously. So we covered motion sickness in the last episode. You're going to see a lot of similarities between these. It's because they often occur at the same time. So you get kind of the same symptoms. And they can also be induced by the same sensory mismatch. Motion sickness causes the body to experience symptoms such as dizziness, vomiting, sweating, stomach pains, headaches, and more, while spatial disorientation can also result in those things, but also result in illusions that cause the pilot to make poor decisions. Spatial orientation is our ability to maintain our body orientation and position in space relative to the environment that surrounds us. Spatial orientation in flight can be difficult because of the three sensing sources. That's visual sensing, vestibular sensing, and kinesthetic sensing vary in the way they detect and measure orientation and can often conflict with one another. When different or conflicting information is gathered by your brain from these sources, the brain relies heavily on vision. Spatial disorientation can then occur when your central scanning information through your eyes, does not match your peripheral information. That's because you're only relying on visibility at this point because you're getting fusing information in your brain. So then you rely all on your vision and now your central scanning is not matching your peripheral. It's just too much for your brain to process when it's only focusing on that visibility. And if visibility is poor, the brain will use information from the other senses incorrectly leading to illusions of the mind. This is why spatial disorientation and even collision with ground obstacles will often occur when VFR flight is continued into IFR conditions. So that was kind of a a lot. I want to break down a couple of the things here on the podcast. This is bonus material that we don't have in the written lesson. So if you're in the, the lessons, hopefully you're listening to this because these audios are also in the lessons. This right on top so you can listen right away or you can read the lesson. But I want to talk about what visual, vestibular, and kinesthetic senses are. So it says we have three sensing sources. So visual, that's our eyes, right? That senses where we are in space by what we see, right? That's pretty easy. Vestibular is like the inner ear. So I'm not even going to go too much detail into that, but the inner ear, there's this vestibular system that's got like, there's cochlea and these like, there's like these liquid filled sacks and these little hair sensing hairs anyways that kind of helps with your balance right so that's another sensing it kind of is like an accelerometer for your body it tells you which way's up and down through your inner ear so that's vestibular and then kinesthetic is just like the rest of your body feel different pressures you feel like if you were to close your eyes and you were to be you know turned upside down you can feel like blood rushing you know, one way you can feel the change in gravity through your blood, through your muscles and things like that. That's kind of like kinesthetic. Okay, so I just wanted to break those down. So those are kind of the three ways that we can sense things and send information to our brain. And then spatial disorientation is when we get conflicting information from those three sources, such that the brain just says, okay, let's rely on vision. And then when the vision is not reliable, when that data is also not reliable, like when we have poor visibility, then you really get into some trouble with spatial disorientation. So the other thing that we talked about is we talked about spatial disorientation and even collision with ground obstacles will often occur when VFR flight is continued into IFR conditions. That is something that's bolded in the online ground school because that is something you want to look out for on the FA written exam. Collision with ground obstacles and spatial disorientation and illusions are often when you 
are flying VFR flight and you continue into IFR conditions, especially if you're not used to that type of flight. Spatial disorientation can result in a variety of illusions and deadly side effects. When unreliable visual information is received by the brain, illusions such as the leans, graveyard spin, graveyard spiral, inversion illusion, head up illusion, and head down illusion can occur because of the brain sensing false sensations of rotation from the vestibular senses. These false senses of rotation can be caused by changes in gravity and linear acceleration. During changes in linear acceleration while climbing, descending, or turning, the vestibular senses will sense movements that do not match the visual senses. If visual senses are poor, like the visibility is poor, then this can lead to illusions of movement. Now, we're going to talk about like six or seven of these illusions. You know, as of this recording, there's not specifically asked about, I think there might be one of these and we'll talk about it that is asked on the FA written. So the majority of these are not asked about on the FA written exam, but that does not mean they're not important to know. I think these are really, really important to know. Your examiner and check ride might ask you, but even if they don't, I still think as a pilot, you should know, because if you know how these occur, what they are, it can help in avoiding these. And if you don't avoid these, these can be very, very deadly. So that's just something I wanted to mention before we get into these, but let's talk about these. And again, I'll mention which one I've seen on the FAA written, but still let's all listen in because these can be very important. So the first one I want to talk about is the leans. The leans occur when a pilot is in a prolonged turn but is not aware of it because visibility is poor and the human vestibular senses are unable to sense rotational accelerations less than 2 degrees per second. So basically, you're unaware that your aircraft has entered a very, very shallow bank, but the bank continues to increase, but at such a slow rate that you don't feel the acceleration. Okay? So if you're not paying attention to your instruments or you're not trusting your instruments and it's slow so you don't feel that acceleration, you can enter this turn with, without even knowing it, right? Especially if visibility is low and you're not paying attention to your instruments. So let's say this happens, you're in a prolonged turn. And then if he, she, you know, the pilot were to notice this on their instrumentation, right? So they finally look at their instruments and they look at their attitude indicator and they're like, whoa, what the heck? And so they make a correction to level flight, but they never felt anything off. They never felt like they were in a turn. So they make a correction to level flight on their attitude indicator, but now it feels like to them that they're now in a bank in the opposite direction because to them, their brain was in level flight, even though it wasn't. And now when they made the correction to level flight, their brain now thinks they're in a bank the other direction. Really crazy stuff. So it wouldn't actually feel like level flight to them, even though it is. So they then might trust their vestibular senses instead of their instruments, which is a big no-no, and re-enter a bank thinking that this is actually level flight. So they might you know, get to level flight, but it doesn't feel like level flight. So then they might re-correct, trusting the vestibular senses, re-enter that bank, and then be like, okay, I'm good now. Like It feels good now. I feel like I'm in level flight. Kind of forget about it, but now they're in some bank you know, careening somewhere dangerous. So we really, really want to be careful with that. That one's called the leans. The next one I want to talk about is called a graveyard spin. A graveyard spin is when a pilot enters a spin without knowing it for the same reason explained above for the leans. Bad visibility and the vestibular sense is not sensing rotation. As the spin begins, a pilot might sense it correctly, but as the spin continues, the pilot's vestibular senses will acclimate and the spin will feel like it's decreasing. The pilot may then correct with right rudder as he, she should in a spin, but will now feel a spin in the opposite direction because of the bad visibility, just as in the leans. The pilot will then enter 
left rudder to put the aircraft level when really they are re-entering the left spin but will be unable to sense it. So again, this is just like the leans, right? You're not feeling something. Your mind thinks you're in some sort of level flight, controlled flight. And then when you correct to level flight, it doesn't feel like you correct to level flight and you're actually making the condition worse. So the same thing can happen in a spin. The next one is a graveyard spiral. In a graveyard spiral, a pilot enters a bank and initially senses it correctly. As the bank continues and visibility is poor, a pilot's brain will acclimate to the bank such that the pilot will believe the aircraft has corrected itself some towards level flight. So if the pilot reverses the bank back to level flight using his or her turn coordinator, it will actually feel as if the aircraft is leaving level flight and banking the opposite direction of the original bank. So the pilot will then bank again to correct to level flight when really he, she is re-entering the original bank. The pilot is now in a bank, but unaware of it. So once again, this is very similar to the leans. The leans is kind of describing a back and forth motion. This one is kind of the graveyard spiral is spiraling sort of in one direction. So you start with a, a bank and you know that you're in a bank, but then if the visibility is poor, your brain's going to acclimate to the bank such that it sort of feels that it's in level flight now. So if you're in a bank, you know you're in a bank, but then visibility is poor and you stop feeling acceleration. So you think that the aircraft is now in level flight. And then that once you're off on the wrong path, you just get into this loop of making things worse if you don't trust your instrument. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is the Coriolis illusion. The Coriolis illusion occurs when there is simultaneous stimulation of two semicircular canals of the vestibular senses caused by the tilt of the head up or down during an aircraft banking turn. When a pilot looks down at their kneeboard or up to an above instrument during a bank, they can become disoriented and feel the sensation that the aircraft is rolling, yawing, and pitching at the same time. So this one you can actually try out. Now, I don't recommend it if you are prone to getting, you know, air sickness, but you can try it out and it's, it usually goes away pretty quickly. But again, if you have bad visibility, you're not trusting your instruments, these illusions can be very, very serious. But basically, you're in a turn, so you're turning, so you have that acceleration, but then you also look up or down, so then your head also has an up-down acceleration. And now you have the feeling, the sensation that the aircraft is rolling, yawing, and pitching at the same time because your aircraft is rolling and yawing and your head is pitching. <laughs> but really, it's just your head. And so you just got too many things going on for your vestibular senses to, to kind of get. And I think this is exactly what you kind of feel when you're looking down at your chart you know, and then you look back up, you're, you're in a circling turn. I remember that as a student, kind of getting that this kind of illusion that something was happening that really wasn't, and then kind of feeling a bit queasy, but then it goes away when you kind of are able to just focus, slow down your movements, and pay attention to one thing at a time. So that's the Coriolis illusion. Next one I want to talk about is a somatogravic illusion. I think I said that right. Somatogravic. Pilots are more likely to experience somatogravic illusions during takeoff. Now, I have that in bold because I believe this is the one I've seen on the FA Britain. So when are somatogravic illusions most likely to occur? That would be on takeoff. The reason I asked that is because there are some common, there's some different types. There's three different types of somatogravic illusions. There's an inversion illusion, there's a head up illusion, and there's a head down illusion. 
The inversion illusion is when a steep climb with forward linear acceleration in an aircraft ends in returning to level flight abrupt. So steep climb with forward linear acceleration in an aircraft, and then you return to level flight abruptly. The pilot feels the higher speed of the aircraft as well as the lasting effect of the forward linear acceleration from the climb. The combination of these accelerations make the pilot feel like the aircraft is inverted. The head up illusion occurs when a sudden forward linear acceleration is made during level flight and the pilot senses the illusion of the nose being pitched up. The pilot responds by pitching down from level flight incorrectly. Now you guys as a, a VFR pilot, when you're flying in the day, you're like, these all seem silly, but let's imagine that visibility is poor when I read these things and you can really get to understand how this might occur. That's where these really come about when, when visibility is poor. So the last one is head down illusion, the opposite of head up illusion such that when in level flight and a pilot experiences a sudden linear deceleration and senses the illusion of the nose being pitched down. The pilot responds by pitching up from level flight incorrectly. So let's say you are flying in poor visibility, you can't see anything, you're not trusting your instruments, and you slow down, you have a really quick deceleration. It's actually going to feel like your nose has pitched down a little bit because you're not gonna be able to see that your nose is still level and your vestibular senses and stuff like that, it kind of makes you feel like you've the nose is pitched down. So you might pitch up and you might just do this instinctively, again, if you're not trusting and looking at your instruments. So we had the inversion illusion, the head up illusion, and the head down illusion. Those are all somatographic illusions. So it's a quick change in that linear acceleration where you, when you have poor visibility, you feel like something else is happening to the attitude of your aircraft when it actually isn't. And these are likely, you're likely to experience these during takeoffs. All right, so that kind of wraps up all the illusions. Let's just briefly close out this lesson with how we can use to prevent spatial disorientation. Obviously, we talked about a few of these. Let's talk about them now. So only fly in poor visibility or at night if you are well-trained and proficient in using and trusting your instruments to fly. So every one of these I talked about, if you weren't to trust your instruments or if you weren't experienced in these IFR conditions or low visibility conditions. So I mentioned that for all of these because it's true for all of them. So one way to avoid these situations and these scary illusions is to only fly in poor visibility or at night if you are well-trained and proficient in using your instruments to fly and trusting those instruments. And then finally, when you feel like you're experiencing an illusion, when you start to get confused, Trust your instruments. Okay, I said that a lot, but I can't remember which, I think it was Robert Kennedy or Robert Kennedy Jr. There was a Kennedy brother or son or something. I'm not sure who it was, but he was a pilot. He liked to fly his family in the plane that they had. And one night they was flying along the East Coast. And, and someone emailed us at team at part-time pilot if I'm totally botching the story, but they crashed and they all died and investigations in, into the crash basically said that you know it was really poor visibility and one of these illusions essentially happened to him. Without knowing it, didn't trust his instruments and ended up crashing into the ocean, I believe it was. So now I don't know how, how they know that or what they, if there was some black box or something or whatever. But so again, if anyone has any information on that, I'd love to hear, hear that story. But that's the story that I was told from my flight instructor in college. So... So yeah, anyways, 
trust your instruments. That's the moral of the story. And that is the lesson on spatial disorientation. All right, let's continue on. I think we have time for another lesson. So let's go to lesson seven on carbon monoxide poisoning. But before we get there, I just have one kind of announcement that I kind of forgot about at the beginning of the episode, but it's something that's really, really cool. So I, I'm sure you guys have heard of AI and ChatGPT. If you haven't, I highly recommend, you know, doing some little bit of research about it. It's, you know, taking the world by storm right now, and it's really, really cool. Also can be really, really scary. I, I've even had like nights where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, is this just going to take over the world is going to make all our jobs obsolete. I've had all these dark thoughts and then I've also had all these like really good thoughts. It's crazy. It's one of those things that like the internet, no doubt, no matter what you think about it, it's going to change everything. So I highly recommend you looking into understanding a little bit how to use it. Google is going to start, you know, instead of, you know, you search in Google, it's going to, it brings up a bunch of links that it thinks is, you know, it ranks the links based on how well it's trying to find an answer to your question. Well, it's going to be less links. I think they're still going to have links, but it's just going to be you talking to the uh, Google AI and it's just going to provide you the answer. So instead of clicking on a link to find your answer, Google wants you to get your answer right there on Google's website. So you're going to be a lot of time on Google talking to the Google AI. Now, I think once they work out the kinks, that could be really valuable. It's going to change a lot for businesses. I I know that like businesses who give out a lot of information, you know, just like part-time pilot and rely on people clicking on their links. That's going to change a lot and we're going to have to figure that out, but that's okay. I'm embracing this tool. And the one thing that I've done already is I've integrated ChatGPT into our ground school and our checkride prep. So at the bottom of every single lesson, there is a link to a pop-up where you can use the premier version of ChatGPT, which we pay for. So I know that there's like limits to the free versions of ChatGPT on how much you can type and stuff like that. So we have the, the premier version, so there shouldn't be any limits. If there are, let me know. I'm still kind of getting used to dialing the settings in the background. And I have a tutorial video, so please watch the tutorial video, but it's important to know that there are limitations to this. ChatGPT does not know everything. It can be wrong, and you have to give it some context, right? If you just ask, what is a stall? It might think you're talking about a stalled car engine, right? Or a stalled, you know, something else. You have to give it some context. So I have some tips and tricks on how to do that, but it's a very, very powerful tool. I think in that example, I even said like, can you quiz me on this topic? I think we were talking about density altitude and it shows the power of it and really cool, powerful tool. And now you can use that, the premium version of that inside every single lesson. So at the bottom, again, there's a link, you can click on it and you can just start chatting with ChatGPT. Now the cool, this is where it gets really cool. I am going to right now chat that ChatGPT. It's just based off some database of information, right? So it can get it can be wrong a lot. And if you were to ask it something particular to part-time pilot, it's not going to know that. And anything behind a paywall, right? So like a lot of online ground school content or some like research article that's you have to pay to then see that that article, ChatGPT doesn't have. So what we are doing is we're creating our own entity of ChatGPT. It's going to be a part-time pilot chatbot that knows all the increases of part-time pilot and our online ground school. So that it'll be 
It's, I'm going to try to make it as close as possible. It would be like chatting with me. So it's going to be really cool. So all my knowledge and all part-time pilots knowledge, we're training our own ChatGPT entity on it. And that will be released TBD. It takes a lot of work to do, but we're working on it. So I just wanted to announce that here. I forgot about it earlier. Something really cool, something that I think is fun and cool. And, uh, you know, part-time pilot is always going to be my goal with part-time pilot is always be at the the forefront of technology and when that all changes. So I already have more stuff lined up on planning apps like ForeFlight and stuff like that and also virtual reality training in the future. That's going to take some time to get to that. But those are the plans of part-time pilot to be at the forefront of those technologies. So hopefully you hang around for us on that ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. That's enough. Let's get back to the lessons. We are on section 10, human factors, lesson seven on carbon monoxide poisoning. The most common form of hypoxia is hypemic hypoxia. So we mentioned hypoxia a couple episodes ago. Let me check here. I think, yeah, I think two episodes ago, we talked about hypoxia. You know, it's a lack of oxygen in the blood that can cause death, hallucinations, all sorts of stuff, you know, lack of muscle control. So very, very bad. We don't want to get hypoxia, but the most common type is hypemic hypoxia. And it occurs when too much carbon monoxide is inhaled such that it inhibits hemoglobin transport of oxygen to the cells. So that hemoglobin is something in the blood, right? It carries oxygen all around your body through your veins to the cells around your body, right? And cells need oxygen to thrive and and power and run and all that stuff. That's my layman's term of understanding the human body. But it can take up to 48 hours for your body to get rid of that excess CO that's blocking that transport of oxygen to your cells. If the body CO amount gets too high, it can cause death. CO poisoning can be caused by a faulty cabin heater. So this is kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen like in a movie or something, or hopefully you've never heard of someone in your life doing this, but, you know, turning on a car in a garage and just leaving it running, you can kind of commit suicide that way when, and I believe, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's because it's essentially CO poison. So again, it can be caused by a faulty cabin heater susceptibility in your aircraft susceptibility to co poisoning increases as altitude increases less oxygen in the air so now you're doubling you have hypoxic hypoxia which is just you're increasing in altitude and the density of air is decreasing so there's just less availability of oxygen in the air to breathe in so you're already at something that's causing a deficiency in oxygen and then you add co poisoning to that and that's even furthermore going to limit the amount of oxygen that your cells are getting so again susceptibility to co poisoning increases as altitude increases and there's less oxygen in the air that is going to be on the fa written exam maybe not depending on the questions you get but that is a question on the fa written exam if a pilot feels any hypoxic symptoms they should immediately turn off the cabin heat fully turn it fully off immediately open all vents and windows to get fresh air to get that air out and fresh air in and if available use supplemental oxygen so if you carried with you some an oxygen tank or you have it installed in your aircraft or whatever use it right away as soon as you turn off the cabin heat put that on and then open your vent Uh, contact atc and tell them what you are experiencing they can make your life easier and help you land so 
This is, this is kind of just an overarching for any emergency, but ATC is our friends. They want us to, they don't want us to crash, they want us to live. So if you're experiencing some difficulties, tell them. As soon as you have, you know, you've completed your checklist that you need to in the aircraft and you have the time to tell them, tell them. They can really help you out. They can make things easier for you, make the traffic less so you can just come for a straight in land, easy landing, right? So they can get you to an airport faster, stuff like that. So contact ATC and tell them what you're experiencing and then land as soon and safely as possible. You know, you don't want to just immediately try and land on some rocks, but you want to find a safe space, preferably a runway or an airport and, and land as soon as possible. And then once you're down and landed, seek medical help once on the ground. And this is because the excess CO takes many hours to leave the body. A pilot that experiences CO poisoning, again, should not fly for at least 48 hours after that. And they should have the aircraft inspected for any faulty cabin heater or other devices causing an increase in CO. Typical symptoms of CO poisoning with its approximate percentage in the blood can be shown in the table we have in the lesson. So I'm just going to kind of go over, over this here, but let's say there's less than 10% of CO in the blood. That's the only percentages that you're going to see no symptom. Once you're above just 10%, when you get to 10 to 20% of CO in the blood, you're going to get headaches. And the headaches are already going to impair your ability to make decisions, stay ahead of the aircraft, and fly without pain, right? 21 to 30%, you get headaches, slight increase in breathing rate and depth, and even drowsiness. 31 to 40% of CO in the blood, now you're getting headaches, impaired judgment, shortness of breath, increased drowsiness, loss of muscular power, and blurred vision. Does that sound like something you want to fly with? No, it doesn't. Then 41 to 50%, severe headaches, confusion, extreme shortness of breath, extreme drowsiness, loss of muscular power, and increased blurred vision. So everything's just getting worse and worse. Finally, anything above 50%, you can get unconsciousness and eventual death you're not removed from the CO and you do not seek medical attention. So this is serious stuff, you guys. As soon as you feel some sort of any of these symptoms, right? Headaches, dizziness, you want to turn the cabin heat off, open the vents, use supplemental oxygen if you have it, start looking for landing, contact ATC, tell them what's up. And if you're not close to somewhere that you can land, you want to decrease your altitude, right? Because again, that hypoxic hypoxia from being at high altitudes, just where there's low oxygen, is contributing to it as well. So if you're high up, if you're like 10,000 feet or something, you immediately want to get down to a lower altitude, whatever is safe, as quickly as possible, because that's just going to give you more oxygen too. Okay, so do everything you can to get yourself more oxygen and be safe. All right, that is the lesson on carbon monoxide poisoning. That's going to be it for this episode of the Audio Ground School podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back next week with episode 47. And what are we going to cover? Let's take a look here at the syllabus for the online ground school. We're going to continue section 10 on human factors. We're going to talk about scuba diving. What? Yeah, scuba diving. Uh, for some reason, a lot of pilots like to also scuba dive. I think it's kind of a, an adventure, daring type thing. And then we'll definitely get into lesson nine, aeronautical decision-making or ADM and hazardous attitudes. That's a pretty big one. If for some reason we get through that, we'll get to lesson 10. It's the last lesson in that section. And that's on a self-assessment. So self-assessment tools that you can use to avoid putting yourself in risky situations. All right. Well, thank you guys. And I will talk to you next week. 
Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working so most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job we have kids we have family we have school 
We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.